If green is your favorite color or your way of living, then Grounded is the place for you. From big environmental solutions to your own backyard, wherever in the universe you may be, join me, Melanie Walker, on a journey to a cleaner, greener life. Grounded, your window on the environment. And yes, it's another episode of All Things Green and Wonderful. And isn't green just the most fantastic color? And especially when it's springtime and all those green shoots start coming through. And I've noticed a lot more of that. Just waiting for the good rains to start happening and life will be all good again. Well, after a fashion, obviously, because uh, we're still in level two at this stage of, of recording. And I know that a lot of people have been sitting and thinking, well, I would like to get into my garden and do stuff. But it's still winter. And yes, it is still winter until the end of September, as far as I'm concerned. That's when spring comes. But somebody who doesn't really think about things in terms of season all the time when it comes to gardening is one of the gardening gurus of South Africa. And I'm sure we all, <laughs> I don't know whether Jane Griffiths still enjoys being called a garden guru, but she definitely is the most delicious Jane. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Mel, my almost twin. Yes, absolutely. I don't mind being called a guru as long as people understand that uh, one of the things I love about gardening is that there's always something new to learn. So I definitely don't know everything. Um, I might be a specialist, but uh, I'm by no means a complete expert. <laughs> well, I know because often you get people sending you messages, what plant is this? And I get a little WhatsApp going, Mel, what plant is this? Exactly. <laughs> because it's not a vegetable. If it's not edible. then and But, you know, not even plants. Things are so regional. I remember doing a talk in Cape Town and somebody stuck up their hand and they said, what do I do about monkey beetles? And I looked at her blankly and I said, I know what monkeys are, but I have no clue what a monkey beetle is. And uh, Immediately, other members in the audience responded and they said, oh, well, I do this and I do that. And uh, I said, there we go. There, that's your answer. You you ask people who know, <laughs> you know, people who have it in their gardens. So, yeah, it's it's all about getting to know our own microclimates. And, and it's interesting that you say, yes, that it's it's winter definitely for me until probably the end of September, because we never know when we're going to get zapped by another another cold front. We've been known to have snow in September. And uh, I was listening to an interview recently with somebody from a, a restaurant and they were saying that, oh, well, now it's summer and people don't mind sitting outside. And I thought, what part of the country are you in that it's already summer? Um, it's still chilly and we still have to be aware. And one of the things that I do to protect myself and my garden uh, from the disappointment, there's nothing worse than being allured and lulled by these wonderful hot spells in August where we want to go and rush out and plant our tomatoes and chilies and eggplants and basil into the ground because it's warm. And then zap, two days later, there's friends on Facebook posting pictures of snow on the mountains and all of your Which is exactly plants. what's happening at it's exactly. happening at the moment. I mean, there's snow in the mountains in the Eastern Cape, the Karoo, the Western Cape. I mean, people, are, I'm sitting there and going, I have not unpacked my summer clothing. Therefore, no. it is nowhere near spring, let alone summer. Absolutely not. And uh, in, as far as nurturing your seedlings, um, it's a good idea during those those hot um, spells in, in August to take your seeds out from their shelter. So presumably and hopefully by this time, m most people will have sown some seeds and seed trays. If not, it's not too late. You can still sow seeds of 
the frost tender plants like the tomatoes and eggplants and basil, sow them in seeds and seed trays and keep them in a protected area. I have them all over the place. I've got a greenhouse, uh, which is fine. It, 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 because it's outside, it gets colder than indoors. So if you have a, a, a north-facing mm. room, a north-facing windowsill, my bathroom is north-facing. So at this time of the year, my bathroom is full of seedlings and um, sweet potatoes busy sprouting. And, you know, I have to shower. I can't bath at this time of the year because my bath is taken up with plants. And um, so once you've got them all, and it's a perfect spot because it's north facing, it gets this lovely sun. And you know what's interesting that I've realized as well is that the white bath reflects light into them. So they get this all round light happening. It's a, a perfect little spot for seedlings. Mm. And then when it does come time to planting them out, don't plant them all out. Keep some back, stagger your planting. And this is done for a couple of reasons. Number one, if your plants get zapped by a late frost, you don't lose them all. Secondly, mm. even if your plants don't get zapped by a late frost, it means that you stagger your planting. So that means you're going to stagger your harvest. Further down the line, those tomatoes and eggplants that you held back for a month, keeping them nurtured, growing bigger, even if you transplant them into a bigger pot to stop them becoming root-bound, once you've transplanted those out a month later, that means that you're going to get tomato harvests and eggplant harvests a month later after those first ones have finished bearing. So it's a win-win. Mm, absolutely. Now, one of the things that we, we noticed um, during this, this lockdown period that we've been through this year was the proliferation of um, urban farmers, urban gardeners, all of these sites. Now, you, how long, when did you write your first book? I'm trying to remember what year it was. And then, of course, you set up a website to go with it. What, what year was that everything in? else. My, well, I started growing vegetables in 1995. So I've been doing it for 25 years. That makes me feel so old. But, but anyway, 25 years worth of experience. <laughs> hey, don't say that. I'm still older than you. <laughs> you are about two days. <laughs> And always will be. Yeah, so I, my first book came out in early 2009, April 2009, mm -hmm. so 11 years ago. And yeah, it's been, that was Jane's Delicious Garden. And uh, I have seen an incredible increase in interest um, with people wanting to grow their own food. And I think that this lockdown, not just the lockdown, but but everything surrounding it, everything that has happened, and it's not just the lockdown, it's the precariousness of the systems that we rely on, you know, with ESCOM and water outages and electricity outages. It, I think all of that compounded with lockdown has made us all feel that we are dependent on systems beyond our control. And we want to try and then put more and more things under our control. And one of the big things is, mm. is food and feeding ourselves and handing over responsibility of, you know, in, in, I don't, you know, my mom had a veggie garden. My aunts all had veggie gardens. Uh, my grandfather and grandmother survived solely off the farm. They were completely self-sufficient. Um, in the space of a couple of generations with urbanization and everything that has gone along with that, we've kind of forgotten how to feed ourselves, which is you know, pretty stupid when you think about it. And it's also people get quite daunted by the idea because 
it's made out to be very complicated and you have to do this and you have to do that. And really, it's easy. It's very, very easy to grow your own food, um, especially if you follow the route that I do, which is following nature and using nature as my muse mm. and having nature as my my guide. Uh, you know, when I started growing in 95, there was no Google. I, I couldn't ask questions or Facebook, handy Facebook groups Um I had to I had to go to, I had to go to my plants and and I I, I I I used some American books and some British books and there was nothing organic in South Africa no literature at all everything said spray this and chemical that and I didn't want to do that and so I took all this mm. information from the northern hemisphere and I had to discard half of it because it didn't make sense because of our climate being so different and our products being so different and I, I realized that that following nature, following the way nature does things. And, and I'll, I'll give you a, a couple of examples that, you know, in commercial commercial farming and non-organic farming, everything is done in these neat rows where there are lots of rows of plants. I don't do that. Nature doesn't do that. If you have a look at na- the way nature mm. grows, she grows in abundance. Um Everything grows together. There's a mishmash of a whole bunch of different things together. There might be a clump of one thing here and a clump of another thing to there. But in in my beds, uh, first of all, I don't dig my soil. And that is one of the biggest things that I learned early on in my gardening journey. And it's a tradition in South Africa. Come the end of season or you, you don't have anything for your gardener to do or you get them into the garden digging up and turning over the soil and beating those clods of soil to death. And mm. it's the worst thing you can do for your, your soil. That soil is home to Why billions. Why is that? Well, the, the soil is home to beneficial organisms, billions and billions of them, way more than we can imagine. In one teaspoon, there are something like six billion microorganisms. That's healthy soil. Mm. And that includes the ones that we can see, like the earthworms, as well as the ones we can't see. And they have a multitude of jobs that we don't even begin to know what they all do. We only literally ha-ha scratching the surface of that. And every time we dig... <laughs> Nicely put. <laughs> see what I did there. Every time we dig, we disturb them and we destroy them and we upset their balance. And then instead of doing their jobs, they have to reestablish Secondly, every single time we dig, we release moisture. So we dry our soil out. And what's dissolved in that mm. moisture? Food, nutrients for our plants. So we're removing their food. And then every single time we dig, we dig up weed seeds that have just been sitting at the bottom layers waiting for us to come along and dig them up. And so, and then also digging is not, it's, it's like you get a sore back from digging. So for all of those reasons, stop digging and Generally, when I'm talking about this in a garden club, I can hear this little murmur of what you're talking about, no digging, no digging. We have to dig. We have to dig. Otherwise, the soil gets compressed. That's why we dig. There's this Mm. definite Mm. murmur that goes around the room. And that's the other thing that I do as well that I've learned in conjunction with no dig gardening. You must never stand on your soil. That is the main reason for, for soil being compressed. In commercial farming, it's big machines driving over it. In our small gardens, it's us standing on the soil, especially when it's wet, it gets compressed, and then you mm. have to dig to loosen it. So if you make your bed small, literally the size of a door, and you have permanent pathways around the side, those are your safe zones. And then you never stand on your soil. 
And nature is designed to incorporate what lands on top of the soil and to incorporate it into those bottom layers. So everything gets, the earthworms come up at night and they pull those leaves down and in no time they're gone, they're incorporated. Nature doesn't send little dwarves in at night to dig, you know. Uh, <laughs> and it is, that just takes so much. By no digging, you're removing a huge amount of the weeds and that is a huge part of the labor in a veggie garden. People get put off because they think, oh, it's so much hard work. Well, with no digging, it's immediately mm. removes a bulk of the work. From 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 the the, yep. the chores. It's putting everything back on top. I mean, that's why we keep. I mean, I just remember when I was younger, I thought this whole thing of compost, compost, compost was just a marketing ploy. It was just a way to get you know when you're not selling plants and you're selling compost to people. I didn't really kind of get that. Compost is what is your soil conditioner, and in fact, if you just put the compost on top of the soil and leave it there, you don't need to do anything else. Yes, exactly. And and you can combine that with things like at this time of the year, some of my beds through winter, for example, I've just let clover grow all over the beds, um, especially the beds that have got perennials like um, rhubarb and asparagus and things like that and turmeric that have all gone dormant now. There's nothing there, but underneath the mm. ground, they're mm. busily building themselves up ready to pop out in spring. So they need feeding. So what I do is, first of all, the clover grows on top of them. And then I just slash that clover down or just go in there and, you know, you can just, it's so easy to pull out. You just pull it out, but then you just leave it lying on the soil because that's pulled nutrients mm. out of the soil. And then you throw compost and manure on top of that. You just throw a layer, mix it all up, and you leave that to sit for a couple of weeks. That all rots down and then up pop the the your perennials through that and you could do that for your annual beds as well and you just you know dig a little hole obviously when you're planting you have to dig something because you have to dig a hole to plant a seedling in or the other thing that I do that also saves an incredible amount of labor in the garden is intensive gardening because this is another thing yeah. that nature does as I said earlier nature doesn't just put everything in neat little rows it's all a mishmash so we can emulate that as well so in one bed I will never ever just have one thing I've always got more than one thing growing and the benefits of this are also multiple firstly if you get a disease in one side of a bed that is filled with eggplants or filled with cabbages and nothing else it will sweep through like wildfire however if you have yeah a row of tomatoes and then a row of onions and then a row of Swiss chard and then you can do it in rows. You can still do it in rows, but mm. don't leave big gaps in between them. You're not walking on the soil. You don't need gaps. So you put them right as, as close as they have so that when they reach full size, all their leaves just touch each other and they've all got enough room to easily cohabit. So firstly, it will prevent yeah. this disease spreading because diseases affect the plants of one same family. So if you choose different plants from different families, they form fire breaks stopping that disease. Secondly, if you leave them to grow so that all the leaves just reach or uh, touch one another, when they're fully grown, they form this wonderful umbrella above the soil. And it mm. shades the soil. It stops the sun reaching the soil, so it stops it drying out. Very important in our drought-stricken country. It stops the sun reaching weed seeds, so the weeds don't germinate. If you grow thickly, if you grow things intensively, your weeding is reduced exponentially. 
And then also what happens below ground is what's interesting because all those beneficial organisms that I was mentioning, they are most prolific in the rhizosphere, which is the root zone. It's where all the roots are. That's where all the, they congregate and gather. The more plants you have, the more roots you have underground, the more beneficial organisms mm-hmm. you have underground. It's all a win-win and it all enables us to grow more vegetables in a limited space with the least amount of time, which is what all of us want to, especially, you know, living in an urban environment when we're all busy with busy lives, that's how we want to grow our vegetables. Mm. There's a lot of interest in people. I mean, not just because of lockdown, I mean, there was a fortune of it. Like, can you help me set up my garden? You know, I'll, I'll walk around my garden with you on a, on a Zoom call or we can do a WhatsApp <laughs> yes. video call so you can see what space I've got. And, uh, but, you know, even for me, I'm sitting there and I got given at, at one of your garden parties on Garden Day, actually, by the ah. wonderful Sean Friedman, yes. uh, who has those, he does living seeds. And he gave us each uh, little plants. Do you remember? Um, a little chili, a little lemongrass, yes. a little rosemary, a yes. little tomato. And I planted them all. I didn't realize, I looked at the, the, the pepper and I thought, okay, fine. Peppers, oh, that gets about a foot tall, maybe you know, one and a half feet tall. And this thing ended up being taller than me and has been going for three years and fruiting <laughs> prolifically. So I said, oh, I can put it in that little space there. It'll be absolutely perfect. I'll have the rosemary next to it. There'll be nice companions. Let me pop the lemongrass in there as well. And the next thing I had a jungle. And this is where I think the mm-hmm. biggest problem is for a lot of people. I mean, not if I'm still getting it wrong, because I didn't know how big the shrub would get. And it is a shrub. Trust me, it's not just yes. a little plant. Yes. Is that you, you overestimate how much space you may have. And that's one of the biggest questions I get asked. What can I plant in this space? And I say, read the packet. But people don't do that. They don't read how big things get. So you're saying plant them so that their leaves will just touch, but they may overplant. Look, so what do they do then? What do they do then? Mel, it's, you know, that is, <laughs> I still struggle. After 25 years, I still struggle with it <laughs> because, believe me, there is nothing more tempting than that that time in the garden when you're walking through it and everything in win- the winter plants are all coming out and freeing up all the space at that Greedy cauliflower has been hogging for the last five months, and you go, "Oh yes, look at that! Mm. I can plant ten tomatoes there, and I can plant, I can plant a whole popcorn patch there." And you plant, <laughs> plant, and plant, and by midsummer you can't even walk through your pathways because everything's overgrown onto the pathways. Uh, look, experience number one, number two. Uh, funny enough. You say read the seed packet. Don't just rely on the seed packet. This is where Google is an amazing resource. You can go online and you will find a lot more information about the particular seed that you're planting or the plant that you're transplanting than um, than just on the seed packet. And that it will give you information mm. of how big it will be. And photographs help as well. You Google images of that and you suddenly there's something that translates when you say something, oh, it's a foot and a half high or it's nearly as a, it's very different to seeing it next to a lavender bush or online. You go, oh my gosh, is that how big it's going to grow? And you then readjust. Mm. The other thing to do is to take photographs of when you're growing things. Take photographs because your memory will fool you and your memory will trick you and go, it won't get that big, will it? You look at a photograph and go, oh boy, yes, remember, it did get that big. Um, so also there's, there's, 
you know, a lot of things that you you can harvest them when they're younger and you don't have to wait for them to reach full size. So you can plant mm -hmm. some things thickly together and then take advantage of having, for example, carrots. They're a perfect example because they tend to always get sown thickly because they've got such tiny little seeds. So what I've I do now is first of all when they're tiny, tiny, tiny. If they've been very, if I've sown them too thickly, I snip out quite a few of them, but I leave a lot that are still much closer together than they should be. And then as they get bigger, you can pull one. And the reason I say snip them out is because when they're little, you pull one out and it disturbs its neighbour too much. You land up destroying two of them or three of them. But when they're bigger, the mm. neighbours can handle being tugged out, and the ones next to them kind of resettle back in. So you can then harvest a whole bunch selectively across the patch, leaving some to get bigger, but then eating the baby ones. And this works for all root crops, all of your beetroots, your all of those. You can harvest them when they're a little bit smaller. So if you do make the mistake, don't leave them to grow to their, when they're so overcrowded that it, it everything is just squashing in on everything else. Rather sacrifice a few plants and make sure that the mm. remaining ones create that perfect umbrella. For me, the, I think the most frustrating thing has been people coming and going, what can I plant in my garden now? We're talking now, we're talking kind of coming up the end of winter, about to go into spring. And I'm like, well, actually, this is the time I'd say, get your patch ready, okay? Put your compost on, put some fertilizer into the soil, get rid of the weeds, get everything ready because it's coming to the end of winter cropping. And of course, you're not going to be planting your summer stuff out yet at the moment either. Do you find that you get people asking you that same question as well? And they want to know why I can't have tomatoes. Why? <laughs> they come into a garden center. I want tomatoes. And like, you can't have them. And they're like, why? I said, because <laughs> it's the wrong time of year. Yes. People yes. don't get it. Why is there that? Or you land up having garden centers that sell the wrong thing at the wrong time completely. And then people get completely disappointed because they've grown, planted a tomato hmm. in whatever, July, and of course the thing didn't grow. Well, partly, the answer is partly, number one, in my books, I give a huge amount of information. Jane's Delicious A to Z of Vegetables was exactly the reason for the book was that. Um, to give with each vegetable the information about how, when, where, what to plant, when to feed it, how to feed it, when to plant it, where to plant it. So that covers a huge amount of information on oh, over 50 different vegetables, some more common, uh, some some of the more unknown ones and rarer ones. Um, mm. But it's about knowledge. It's about you can go into a, a garden center and you can buy a huge amount of tools but the most important thing you can get is is knowledge, is getting to know your plants and getting to know where they grow, when they grow, what they like. And and also getting to know your own microclimate. Uh, you might have a spot in your garden where it doesn't get frost and it's sheltered. And you can actually grow a chili year round and it might be on the high felt. Uh, I know people, I've seen gardens. But by the same token, know that if you are going to try and grow a chili or a tomato throughout winter, it's going to be more vulnerable to things like whitefly and those other things that also survive in your nice warm microclimate. So getting to know mm. the hohos, getting to know your plants and also getting to, to, to a point where you always have something 
that you transplanting out or sowing so that you you get to see ah those are starting to go over they're showing signs or i'm about to harvest all these broccoli now or this broccoli what is going to go into its place and there are lots of longer term mm-hmm. plants like the tomatoes and eggplants and and cabbages and cauliflowers all of those take a bit longer there are lots of shorter term ones that we can plant quickly that don't mind a bit of frost something like a radish for example you can always pop some radishes into a corner of of a garden in in cooler times because they love cooler weather they love they need moisture but they grow quickly things like lettuces they will grow almost year round year round except in the very coldest of cold gardens and in the coldest mm. of of months don't try and sow seeds they will take ages to germinate but transplant some seedlings um rocket rocket grows year round swiss chard grows year round beetroots grow almost all year round they tend to go to seed more quickly in the middle of of summer there are so many plants that you can have that will give you a constant supply of greens and things like your perennial herbs all of those are year round your thyme your your rosemary your oregano um chives spring onions you don't have to grow big onions to get onion flavor in your kitchen you can grow onions mm. and then when they start like sow them before winter and they'll they'll sit and grow leaves throughout winter and then you don't have to wait until november for them taking up a bed to produce a nice big bulb underground just harvest them in september or so as green onions when they've just started forming a thickish base but uh, they haven't formed a huge big bulb yet i find that a much easier way this this is something i've noticed on um on social media you put it up i mean obviously your your website uh, janesdeliciousgarden.com is an absolutely great font of useful information mm. i'm a foodie which is a font of useless information <laughs> but um on <laughs> you put it up on on your facebook page and using other parts of the plants that most people would throw away and it's been something that i've been doing for years because the tops of carrots taste like carrots <laughs> you know you look yes. at the green stuff and people throw that away yes. um people will only use a fennel bulb instead of using the foliage as well which i use liberally in in a fish rice uh, dish which i put together so you've been giving amazing tips to people on how to use every single part of the plant Absolutely and because people don't know about these parts because they're not available in supermarkets you only find most of these when you start growing your own vegetables because like a carrot top for example a carrot top that has been sitting first of all it's been harvested and then put on a truck and then transported and then it sits in a cold chain warehouse or somewhere and then eventually it makes it to your greengrocer or supermarket shelf by that time that green carrot top is not going to taste that lecker anymore and mm, also yeah. an- another reason why when you harvest when you grow your own again with carrots and beetroots and any other root crop whenever you take those out of the garden the minute you take them out of the garden twist the tops the green bit off because remember from from biology class what happens is that those top green bits are the bits that are doing the chlorophyll and photosynthesis etc etc so what they're doing is they will be pulling nutrients through the root up into the leaves and it's a continual process so if you harvest the whole mm. thing with the leaf that leaf will have carried on pulling nutrients out of the root so as you harvest you take the leaf off to prevent that process from continuing and then that fresh leaf it can be beetroot leaves turnip 
turnip tops, carrot leaves. They can all carrot pesto made with carrot tops is delicious. You just make it the mm. same way. You can use cashew nuts instead of pine nuts, and it's a really, really delicious one. Uh, another one is coriander. Coriander, people so often say to me, it's one of the very common query is, how do I stop my coriander from going to seed? Um, well, firstly, coriander is a very, it's a, it's a, uh, it, it does not like being transplanted. It prefers to be sown mm. direct. The minute you transplant a, a coriander, it will start going to seed. It'll start bolting. And then secondly, uh, I just say, okay, we'll plant lots. Keep planting. Do your succession planting so you know that as soon as your first lot is going to seed, you've got another lot coming on to replace it. And then when it goes to seed, don't just pull it out. Let it go to seed because, first of all, the flowers are mm. edible. Secondly, it forms these little green little balls little that eventually become coriander uh, that are dried and that we use in curries. But before they dry, before they turn into little round brown balls, they're little round green balls and they have the most unique, incredible taste because it's a combination of that earthy dried coriander, coriander spice that we use in curries and the fresh green coriander leaf that we use as a garnish. And that you mm. can take and you can crush it and make a pesto with pastes or whatever. And it's the most wonderful gift from, it's like a secret garden that you discover once you start eating all of these, these parts of the plants that you never realized were edible. It's a continual journey of discovery. Absolutely. <laughs> and no way. We can teach somebody new things every single day and that that is it's it's a no waste thing and i mean they, they, people do waste an incredible amount of food um i mean for for yourself and myself well i know i do i mean everything goes into the bokashi from the bokashi will go into the worm bin from the worm bin into the compost heap or straight into the garden so we we throw away very little and i think that's one thing the throwaway society needs to learn is how to actually be a lot more gentle on the environment and then also a lot more gentle on their own body by doing that. Well, I think that perhaps this is one of the lessons that we might hopefully as a collective, although I shouldn't really, I hate that word, but as a human race, we hopefully might have mm. learned a few lessons about um, our impact on the planet and how how the planet can come back and bite us in the bum very quickly and um and as it's doing right now and i tell you one thing about becoming a gardener is it makes you become so much more aware of how much we are a part of not apart from nature that we're an integral part of nature and we can never forget that and mm. Every single thing, when you become a gardener, the rain becomes important. It's like not just rain. It's, oh, my goodness, it's watering my new bean seedlings. Um, junk, a, a, a crate on the side of the road that has been abandoned instead of just driving past it. Oh, you stop, you go home, you get the combi, you come back, you pick it up because you can make a nice compost bin out of it. Yes. The, your your <laughs> junk pile increases exponentially when you become a gardener because anything and everything can be used as a vertical support to maximize your space or increase your growing, your containers. your it, and, and you slowly but surely start reducing not just your carbon footprint, but your entire footprint on our planet. Exactly. Now, your latest book that you've got out at the moment, which I'm still waiting to see, by the way, <laughs> what is it called? Jane's? delicious what jane's delicious a to z of herbs uh that is my latest one it came out it came out just before lockdown it was the dire 
timing. It really was. Um, I couldn't even have a launch for it. I literally, mm. I didn't receive my copies until, um, in fact, a copy went into the post office, the more of the post office never to be <laughs> discovered out again. Oh, good Lord, yeah. Yes, exactly. Jane Smith's A to Z of Herbs is, it's not a new, new book. I brought out Jane's Delicious Herbs in 2013, 2012, round about then. And this is an updated version of that book. It's a refreshed, revised mm -hmm. version of that book. And what it covers is, you know, when I started growing vegetables, I, of course, started growing herbs as well. And when I began, I had this lovely idea of having this perfect, herb circle you know one of those beautiful semi-circles with the kind of the pizza pizza kind of wedges with all these different herbs and their neat little triangles and it lasted for about a year and then cabbages needed space over winter and so I snuck a bit of cabbage space out into the herb garden and then some of the herbs did their own thing and spread into the veggie garden and um, that was the beginning of the end of my neat little herb garden and along the way I started mm. realizing that these herbs were of great benefit in the garden. Again, in multiple ways, um, so many herbs have got so many beneficial effects on their vegetable neighbors. And these range from producing beautiful flowers that attract your, your butterflies, your pollinators, your um, bees, to attracting the predators, insects like spiders, yeah. for example, love, they're, they're crab spiders that, that just love uh, basil flowers and and rosemary flowers and calendula flowers. You get different colored ones. You get purple crab spiders and yellow crab spiders. And, and the herbs were attracting these insects, all these beneficial insects, this balance that starts being created in an organic vegetable garden. And then they started, I realized as well, that there were plants, these herbs that had roots that went way below my vegetable roots. And they were then accessing nutrients. So they were fertilizer plants, things like comfrey and yarrow. And you can just add the leaves to the surface of the beds or you can add them to the compost or you can make you can start making your own fertilizers out of these plants. And my interest in these herbs just developed exponentially. And then, of course, you know, I started I'm I'm. I'm the daughter of a pharmacist, and so it, it made absolute sense for me to haul out my uh, my dad's beautiful old pestle and mortar and my mum's old double boiler, and I started making lotions and potions and all sorts of things mm. using these herbs and exploring the medicinal side. And of course, there's the whole culinary side, which I'd been I'd been using for many years, but adding another layer of medicinal to that, learning how to make tinctures, learning how to make herbal vinegars, learning how to make teas and infusions and what all these herbs did. And it has been an amazing journey and it's ongoing. And uh, that is what Jane's Delicious A to Z of Herbs is all about. It's documenting my journey. It's a, uh, it's a story about how, how and where I've grown these herbs um, as well as passing the information on for anybody else who wants to do it themselves, how to grow them, where to grow them. I've got design tips, um, growing tips, propagation. All the information is in there on how to dry them, how to store them, how to use them, and how to make use of them in your garden and in your kitchen and for your entire family, even your dogs and your pets. Yeah, well, I mean, people are getting more and more into not going the 
traditional route, which has become now going to your local pharmacist. Um, but I also saw on, on Facebook that you're busy with another book. What is yes. this next book going to be about? I can't talk yeah. about that one yet. It's under wraps. You always say this. I want to know. know. <laughs> I, oh, I'm sorry. It's under wraps for now. You'll be here. We go when I can talk about it. You'll be the first. I'll do an do an interview with you about it. How's that now? I'm going to hold you to that. You hold me to it definitely. What has been amazing for me is that lockdown has been like a writer's retreat. The idea for this book popped up literally a month before lockdown. And my publishers mm. loved it. Um, it was a unanimous yay from everybody on the team. And I started writing around about early to the middle of March. Uh, I started writing and I'm already 55,000 words in onto the new book. And I think, you know, more than anyone else, having written, you know, books and magazine articles, that that's a lot of words to write in four months and mm. um, five months, whatever it is now. And um, I've really been enjoying the process. And um, I, I must just add one of the other things that, that is quite funny, going, going back to Jane Slish's herbs, one of the, the benefits of, of being this, this herbalist or whatever using herbs is that during lockdown, I went foraging in my own freezer because, of course, you know, alcohol, no alcohol. <laughs> and I had this memory. I thought, wait a minute. I remember I've got bottles of vodka in my freezer that I use to store and preserve horseradish. So I went foraging yes. in my freezer and I found these bottles and I'm putting them in there with the horseradish harvest a year or so ago, probably about two years ago, and forgotten all about them. Well, I pulled these things out and they had, I put them in there, freshly, freshly harvested horseradish. And we thought, fabulous, we could make Bloody Marys. And, you know, and I pulled all the ingredients out. And then Keith decided to take a sip of the, the undiluted horseradish vodka. He, he nearly had a heart attack. He had to sit down and catch his breath and kind of pant for a little bit. His head, his head was sweating. His hair was standing up. It was so hot, this fresh horseradish. But gosh, did it make the most fabulous Bloody Mary. It was the best Bloody Mary I've ever, ever made. <laughs> I think I might have to try that. I'm going to go out and buy a whole bunch of vodka and go and put horseradish in right now and keep it in my yes. freezer just in case just we, in we case. get locked down from alcohol again. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. So if anybody wants to, um, if they don't have your books, um, I mean, obviously, you know, you can go and buy them from shops or if you go on to janesdeliciousgardens.com, but people can also join your online. Yes. Well, I've got yes. an online shop now. I've started selling my books and I sell all sorts of things on there now. It's also grown quite a bit during lockdown. Jane's Delicious mm. Shop, of course, it's called janesdeliciousshop.co.za. And I sell greenhouses and seeds and all sorts of tools for sowing seeds and all my books and all my, my beautiful 100% natural skincare products. My hand cream is a wonderful thing to use at the moment because our hands are all being dried out so much from all this multiple sanitizing I whenever we go sanitizers, out. Sanitizers, yeah. Yeah. So oh, no, my, my, I've got, I'm going to have to get some more. 
Because yes. my children have been using it. They're just like, well, we need this stuff now because it actually works against the, the horrible sanitizers. It really does. It re-moisturizes all the alcohol. You know, the interesting thing is if you have a look at a lot of hand creams, um, they actually have alcohol in them because that makes it quickly evaporate. Mm. So it gives you the feeling that the hand cream is absorbing quickly. Meanwhile, it's evaporating off your hands. Just check out next time <laughs> you're in the shop and see. Have a look on the back on the ingredients and you'll see how many of them have got alcohol in them, which... By the way, mine doesn't. 100% natural ingredients. All right, so everybody's going to be looking out for the new book from Jane Griffiths. And, of course, you go on to janesdeliciousshop.coza and go and have a look and see. Because Christmas will be upon us quicker than we think. <gasps> and um, a you know, It's always a nice thing to give something to somebody that will keep their hands dirty. I like the idea of that. Here we are telling everybody, wash your hands, wash your hands. I'm like, no, 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 I'm playing in my garden. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> I'd rather be dirty. Yes, and the microbes in the soil are good for us. They are. They make their happy microbes. They yes. make us happy. That's the best way to go and play. And, and for goodness sake, if your kids are not at school, do yourself a favor. Get them out into the garden and teach them something. You can have a home school of note if you go and teach them how to grow their own things. Fabulous, Mal. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you very much, Jane. And we will speak to you again once your new book comes out. For everybody else, please just get out there, have some fun, enjoy the garden, the last of the winter sunshine before we go into spring and then everybody starts moaning about the heat. And above all, stay grounded. Bye-bye. You've been listening to another episode of Grounded from Solid Gold Studios in Johannesburg. For more green ideas and events, pop along to Mel's Treasures on Facebook.